It's the right time for Western Oklahoma. Angela Marcy just came in from from outside. What's uh, just seemed kind of chilly. It was chilly. I had to uh, defrost my car before I could head out here. That's one of the hazards of not parking in the garage, right? That's right. You have That's your, right. Your car that uh, you drive. To my work. state car. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You can drive it to work and around in work, right? Right, throughout the district. Over 5,200 square miles is, is uh, the DA district. So. Now, is that one of the larger districts in the state? It is. It is. I think there are only two others that are uh, larger in, in square miles. I would assume maybe the Panhandle would be one of those. It is. It including is. a part of the northwestern part, part of the state. Yeah. Uh, where, where's that office out of? Um, I think Texas County is their main office. Which is Guyman. Absolutely, yeah. And then uh, is Woodward covered in the same district? No, Woodward's in District 26, and um, it's in the same district as Dewey County. So you really have pretty much western Oklahoma, the center part of the state? We have, yeah, we I do the have the, the, the middle western part of the state. There are only uh, five DAs basically west of... Uh, I-35, and so the other 22 DAs are either Oklahoma County, Tulsa County, or the other 20. So Why is it that eastern Oklahoma always seems to have? Is the population? It, it's, uh, I don't know. It was, it was divided up a long time ago, and that's, that's a really good question. So, so eastern Oklahoma always seems to have more of, of other things than, than west. I don't know why. Maybe long political... Uh, leadership there i don't i don't know for sure why right i think that that's that's probably where it where it started you know certainly eastern oklahoma had uh, a lot of population and a lot of uh, political stroke back in the day so i wanted to ask you and i gave you a little lead time on this about new laws that uh, people might want to be concerned about as it relates to particularly your office right you know there were 408 bills passed last last legislative session. I know that you kind of know that. Uh, that's the approximate number that would go through most years. But, you know, I don't think that the average, average, average listener is aware of how much work actually goes on. Uh, so there were 408 bills passed, and of those, 343 were actually signed by the governor. Um, and... You know, the, the big battle this last year was over education, but there were, there were some significant um, criminal justice bills per, pertaining to uh, domestic violence and protection of children that were passed. And so um, I'm kind of talk a little bit about those. Might mention that they start out with over 2,000 bills, usually in the House and Senate combined. So you narrow it down to 300-something bills. You don't you don't see a lot being I mean when you consider you start out with two thousand, right? Um, knowing how many uh, you start with and then how many you end up with is is uh, always it, it kind of tells you how much work goes on at the Capitol. So what what uh, anything in particular people need to be concerned about in relation to criminal justice? So I you know I want to focus kind of a little bit on. One of the things that we always, as a state association, we always look at areas that we can improve the law for our citizens. And so there was a, a big one um, this last year, domestic violence by strangulation and uh, the removal of uh, great bodily harm from 
the statute. That was actually the result of a uh, case that came out of the Court of Criminal Appeals. And so the legislature and the the association asked the legislature to respond to that uh, appellate decision. And um, the other thing that that bill did, and this was was a big deal uh, for domestic violence victims, it made domestic violence resulting in great bodily injury a violent crime. Now, it's not an 85% crime, but it is considered violent now um, for purposes of good time credits. Now, what is 85%? It's not that. That means what? They have to serve 85% of the sentence. Correct. If if they fall in that category, but but this particular... law did not. Correct. Correct. We have basically we have two different provisions in our statutes that apply to how much time someone has to serve. And so kind of have two different lists. Um, Some of the lists overlap, like our 85 percent list um, is much. It's a much shorter list. It's got murder, uh, rape, shooting with intent to kill, a lot of very violent, you know, Violent sex crimes, lewd acts with a child, um, robberies. A lot. There's there's a long list there, and then the um, violent crimes are impacted with regard to basically it's a it's a Department of Corrections uh, designation, and they they have to serve um, a certain percentage of their time, approximately half of their time, before they can be eligible for parole. And so this particular law will help a little. It will. Um, you know, it made no sense that domestic violence uh, resulting in great bodily injury and domestic violence uh, related offenses wouldn't be considered violent, um, especially if you consider, um, you know, used to an assault and battery with a dangerous weapon. If it wasn't domestic, um, it, it was on the violent list. But now that we have some of the the more specific domestic violence crimes, those have started being added to the domestic violence, uh, to the violent crime list. So there's been a lot of talk about criminal justice reform. I heard Sunday that John Eccles was supporting some additional criminal justice bills. Um, Is the the DA council involved? You know, you hear a lot about these groups outside coming in wanting to make some changes, uh, so it depends. Um, you know, some of these outside groups don't want us involved um, because um, they they know that we're we're the ones that are in the trenches and we know what happens every day. And they they we come back to the table and we explain the realities of the situation to our legislators, um, and and we have to come back and look at public safety in our districts rather than you know, this outside agenda that these other entities have. And so a lot of times these outside entities don't want us involved because they know um, that we we tell it like it is. And so we have good relationships. We have to work at the legislature. We have good relationships with a lot of the legislators. And if we have those relationships – a lot of times the legislators are who will include us in that discussion. Some from the criminal justice side, I guess, if you will, are saying they, they actually lost some ground last year. Well, where, where's that coming from? You know, I think um, that's a misinterpretation or an outright um, 
disingenuous discussion. Um, we, um, if you look at where we are, you know, they seem to be quoting our uh, incarceration rates. And if you look at where we are now, it's been 20 years since our incarceration levels have been this low. And what they don't discuss when they have these these uh, conversations and what they don't bring up is the reason that our incarceration rate is what it is is because of those 85 percent and those violent crimes. It's not it's not low level nonviolent offenders that are keeping our incarceration rates where they are. Um, and so that's a really disingenuous conversation because we have told told these groups over and over again that and they know that our population, our DOC population, is primarily these 85 percent in violent offenses, but they still have the discussion and, and try to make it sound like, you know, somebody's sitting in prison for one, one joint of marijuana or some, you know, misdemeanor, not misdemeanor, but some bogus check case, you know, some theft case. And so there have been, there's been a lot of ground made in the last few years. And so um, I completely disagree, obviously, with those, those assertions that we've kind of taken that step back. I think they like to quote and pick up on someone that they don't even know about that they say was in just for nothing. Right. They like to quote someone. Maybe they know somebody. Uh, maybe they're what, you know, I'm sure that over the years, some of so-called felony cases have, have gone on to, to spend more time in, in, in uh, Big Mac, if you will, um, because of the rep- repetition of, of their crimes. Right. And you that's know, something people don't realize, that you really try to work with these folks, and then you get to the point where you, you don't have many choices. Right. You know, we do still have habitual offender laws and and um, it's way different than it was when I started. It was uh, 20 years to life on almost every felony when I began as an assistant district attorney. Um, and then now the majority of uh, the majority of crimes, unless they're an 85 percent crime um, or on that violent list, the majority of crimes um, are you know, two to life or four to life, depending on uh, how many prior felony convictions they have. And so they've got, you've got a wide range of punishment now to look at. And you can really, I, I do like that we have that, that wide range of punishment because it really does give us the ability to make the punishment fit the crime, so to speak. You can really look at, you know, how much time someone did in the past, um, you know, what what opportunities someone has been given um, and uh, consider that when you're making that, that punishment decision. Very good. Angela Marcy, District uh, 2 uh, District Attorney for our part of the state, western part of the state, includes uh, Washita, Custer, Roger Mills, uh, Ellis counties, and also, let's see, I'm leaving one out. You're one of your biggest counties, Beckham County. Beckham County. Don't, <laughs> don't leave, don't leave Beckham, out, Beckham out. I'm on my way over there today. Stand by, folks. We're talking to Angela Marcy. We'll be back with more right after these messages. Happy New Year from Superior Livestock. The first sale of the new year for Superior, Bell Ringer 2024. It'll be the 10th, 11th, and 12th of January on Dish Network Channel 997, SLA-TV, or on SuperiorClickToBid.com, starting 8 a.m. Central Time each morning, live from Embassy Suites downtown 
one in Oklahoma City. A total of 106,464 head will be selling. For details on this year's bell ringer, go to superiorlivestock.com. Hey, Oklahoma, Monica Collison here with Union Mutual Insurance. For 85 years, Union Mutual has been the preferred choice for insurance in rural Oklahoma. We've been here with you through the storms, the good times and the bad, and we'll continue to stand with you and by you in this great state of Oklahoma. When it's time to insure your rural property, give us a call or visit us at unionmutualic.com. Unlock unbeatable deals at H&C Supply in Weatherford. You'll find premium brands and unbeatable discounts up to 40%. Names like Proto, DeWalt, Crescent, Milwaukee, and Makita. Plus special discounts on PVC Schedule 40 and Schedule 80. And they carry a wide range of stainless steel pipe fittings. The best prices that beat the big box stores every time. H&C Supply is where quality meets affordability. Just off I-40 in Weatherford. H&C Supply. Great products, exceptional service. Hello, this is Brian Baca, founder of Advanced Financial Strategies in Clinton. We've been helping people with their individual financial planning for the past 30 years. How was your 2023 compared to the rough year the market had in 2022? Did your 401k or your investment accounts fully recover or at least close to it? At this point in time, your accounts should be at the highest level or close to the highest level they've ever been. If you'd like a second opinion to potentially reduce the impact on your retirement assets or entire portfolio when another year like 2022 happens, give us a call for a no-cost, no-obligation conversation. December is always a great month to reevaluate the past year and see if you're closer to your goals. And January is the month to take action. We can help you set a more defined course if you feel it's necessary. Give us a call at our office in Clinton, 323-6800, and let's see if we can help you enter the new year with more confidence. Or check us out on our website, retirewithbacca.com. Brian Backa and Briley Backa are investment advisor representatives of and advisory services offered through Royal Fund Management, LLC, an SEC-registered investment advisor. When life throws you a curveball, turn to Dr. Mark Mann and Jessica Simmons, APRN Family Practice Clinic for fast, reliable care. Now accepting urgent care and walk-in needs. From colds and coughs to sprains and strains, they've got you covered. Need a physical exam or laceration repairs? They do that too. Visit them at 90 North 30 Street, Suite 4 in Clinton. Dr. Mark Mann and Jessica Simmons Family Practice Clinic, where compassionate care meets convenience. Open Monday through Friday because your health can't wait. Bridging the gap in care for Western Oklahoma. How long has it been since you've been serviced? If you have to think about it, it's been too long. If cobwebs are starting to build up, it's been too long. And we all know with Oklahoma weather, in just 24 hours, you can experience all four seasons, plus tornadoes, hurricanes, blizzards, and tsunamis. Okay, maybe that was a bit dramatic, but remember, before you turn on the heater, turn to the experts at Four Seasons Heating and Air, Western Oklahoma's only factory-authorized carrier dealer. Oklahoma license number 92419. 24 after 7 o'clock, and I kind of cut you off there. You were talking about some of the legislative work that was done. You want to kind of finish up on that? What else should we be concerned about, or what's important to you? Yeah, so the the District Attorneys Association always has a legislative package every year, and I talked about the first, the domestic violence uh, legislation, and there were a couple of other pieces. One of them was what we call a child hearsay legislation, Led piece of legislation. If a child has been abused or neglected, uh, the law prior to last year's legislation allowed us to admit a statement made by a child under the age of 13 
a statement that was made. Um, there's certain reliability factors and things like that, but in essence, to someone who has uh, forensically interviewed the child or gotten a statement from that child. So we were previously able to do that. We raised, we raised the age to 16, so a child under 16. And what that does is it allows a child um, to to tell the story tell the the story of what has happened to them in a neutral uh, non-intimidating uh, child-friendly manner we videotape that it's it's to allow them not to have have to repeat their story over and over again we can use that statement in court and the child will still potentially have to testify, but usually and, and almost always has to testify, but it it really reduces the number of times they have to testify. Um, and I use the old word videotape. I should, that's, that tells you how old I am, right? Mm-hmm. Um, recording. We record those now um, from videotapes to flash drives now is what we use. Uh, so that was one piece of legislation. Um, we clarified that um, if if a case comes back on an appeal and um, the the sentence is overturned and they're going to have a sentencing, you're only allowed to have a jury do your resentencing if if the original sentence was a jury. And so, if the judge or if it was a plea agreement but your sentence was was taken back, then um, you still have to go back to either the the judge or renegotiate your plea agreement. You don't get an opportunity at a jury trial. Um, So just clarified that. That was the result of, a um, again, a Court of Criminal Appeals decision from several years ago related to juvenile life without parole cases. And so um, it took us a while to get that through, but we finally got that done. And then the last piece of legislation pertained to uh, termination cases in in like a deprived case where a child has been abused or neglected. And after a parent who has failed to correct the conditions that led to the abuse or the neglect um, and there's a termination, there was an appeal process for that, and basically there was another a civil appeals case that would have really extended the the length of time that they can appeal. Um, but they clarified that they only have thirty days to file the the correct notices and that kind of thing. Some of these things you don't find out about until you get into an appellate situation. And you realize that there's this little quirk in the law that you need to fix it is it's kind of a a lot of these were kind of some cleanup cleanup things that needed to be done and then so um you know that was our legislative package obviously with over 400 bills that were passed that's we can't talk about everything but there was kind of an interesting one um that related to um to jury duty and so uh Right now, or before the law, physicians could write a letter verifying uh, that a prospective juror has a mental or physical condition that renders them unfit for jury service, and that would last for up to 24 months. Um, But now the bill allows for physician assistants and registered nurses to also write that that jury excuse note, right? Mm -hmm. And so... 
Um, obviously, if you do have a physical or mental um, condition that, that prevents you from being a juror, we want you to, to let us know that. Um, obviously, we, we, st- we still need jurors, so hopefully if, if you don't have that limitation, you'll, you'll what still other continue reasons? to serve. I, know we, I hear this a lot. People get called for jury, and they say, i got to go. Right, you I know, got to do this, but they don't really want to. A lot of times we hear people have work limitations, uh, child care limitations. Um, you know, those are those are a lot of the reasons that people don't want to. And then, you know, then there are people that just don't want to participate in the process. Um, you know, obviously people who um, who have a physical or, or mental condition, we don't want to put them through that. So we need to know that as well. Um I think they also raised the, I, I thought I marked it, but, oh, they did. They raised the pay for jurors from $20 to $50 a day. So that's, that was, I thought that was interesting how long that $20 had been in place. Um, so $50 is poor, probably with inflation is more equi- equitable for a juror. It is. It means a little more, maybe a little bit better incentive to, to, to serve. Well, you know, you would hope maybe just to offset that cost because you do have people that are that are not getting to go to work or having to pay for childcare, so that they might not have had to pay for otherwise. So it probably it probably doesn't cover all of that, but at least it makes it it makes it more doable Very for good. some of these folks. Angela Marcy is our guest uh, with us on the program this morning. Uh, can you hang around a little bit, or do you need to go? I probably need to head on to to Beckham County. Heading to Beckham County. So be careful on I-40. I will. I will. Now, you kind of cleaned up. I got to get on to you because I heard you earlier this morning say that Mike Turpin and Todd Lamb were your favorites. And so I heard you kind of clean that up this morning as I came in. Well, I want to make it clear that they're the ones out of town. Oh, uh, they're my favorite. You're the, you're my favorite, though, overall. OK, because OK. You're the district attorney. All right. And I have to stay on good terms with the district attorney. Plus, you're my daughter. I was so going to say that different. should that should trump <laughs> everything. Right. Well, thanks for coming in and being on the program. Thanks. Today. thanks. Angela Marcy, district attorney for Western Oklahoma. Tune in every weekday at 6 a.m. for The Right Time with Harold Wright. Brought to you by Priority Home Medical Equipment on 99.3 News Talk KCLI.